So we're going to just jump into our text right away this evening. Um, so let's open our Bibles to Hebrews 11, 23 through 29 as we continue to study men of faith from the Old Testament. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So we've been in Hebrews this, uh, this summer, and I'm going to just give a quick little background on Hebrews, just because it's been a couple weeks since we've met and uh, been working through Hebrews. Um, so first, you know, the first 10 chapters of this book deal completely with um, the sufficiency of Christ and his work on the cross. Um, this is written to an audience of Jewish people. So there's going to be either three things. They're either going to be Jewish believers, uh, Jewish people that, and then the two other uh, people that they're addressing are going to be people that uh, have issues with their understanding of salvation. They're either going to think that it's maybe a faith and works together kind of thing, or is it it could just be a strictly works-based salvation. So as we're writing, or as the author penned this letter, he's uh, focused his whole letter so far on the sufficiency of Christ as our Savior. And in Hebrews 11, he's giving examples that this isn't some new doctrine that, you know, just came about in the last, you know, 50 years. This was, in fact, lived out through the Old Testament as well. So let's begin in verse 23 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So we have seven verses tonight in our, um, in our text. And we have five different times it says, by faith, blank happened. And this by faith is different than all the other by faiths because it's not addressing Moses' faith. Rather, it's addressing Moses' parents' faith. So let's, uh, it might be beneficial for you guys to kind of keep a finger in Exodus or have that marked because I will be kind of jumping back and forth. Um, so that might be helpful for your own note taking. So go ahead and do that. I'm going to be reading from verse 8 of Exodus chapter 1. And we got to address, uh, you know, Hebrews 11:23, and it says, By faith, when he was born, his parents hid him for three months. So I want to know why did his parents hide him for three months. So that's why we're going over to Exodus uh, chapter 1. This is the second book of the Bible, so right at the beginning. So I'm going to read uh, Exodus 1:8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Okay, so we've got to look at this verse in a couple ways. Um, first, a new king arose over Egypt. And then second, he did not know Joseph. So we need to have an understanding of Joseph and how this new king arose. Um, the word used for arose is, um, indicates that this, this new king, this new pharaoh took over. Uh, he was a, 
he was probably a foreigner. He took over the throne. This wasn't an inherited um, spot. This wasn't the pharaoh's, the pharaoh died and his son took over. This was a new king, had no ties to the land. He took over the pharaohship and is now in control of this land. And that's kind of significant considering that he didn't know Joseph and it makes sense. And so let's talk about Joseph. Who's Joseph? Joseph was the son of Jacob and the grandson of Isaac and the great grandson of Abraham, who we talked about a few weeks ago. Joseph was one of the 12 sons of Jacob, and one of Joseph's brothers was Moses' great-grandpa. So they're all related. And in short, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, um, and so he was sent off to Egypt. Uh, he worked hard there, and he served God wholeheartedly, and he eventually rose to the number two um, spot in all the land. He was only behind Pharaoh. And the thing that's significant about Joseph is he helped save Egypt from famine. Uh, so, you know, if this would have been a pharaoh or a, a pharaoh that was at least in the previous pharaoh's family, there could have at least been some uh, appreciation for the Hebrews. But that's not the case. This new pharaoh that moves in doesn't really care. Uh, the Hebrews were already the lowest class of society there. So having, um, you know, having these people that were related to Joseph meant nothing to him. So he, he was kind of afraid for a couple reasons. First, um, he comes into this new land, and there's a vast, vast population of Hebrews. And so economically and politically, he's kind of fearful. Economically, he's afraid that there are, you know, that's a lot of people, a lot of extra people living there. That's, you know, extra food and extra stuff like that to worry about. Number two, politically, he's just, um, it was common for Egypt to be overtaken. So he's thinking if somebody tries to come overtake Egypt, the Hebrews could easily be people um, that could join an enemy and help take over Egypt. So he wants to kind of slow down their uh, population growth rate. And so his first idea is to put them into um, heavy bondage, to put them into slavery. Um, so he did this for a while and had them start to build cities, and their population rate didn't slow down at all. So he decided to have all the firstborn male children uh, killed. So when he first did this, he decided to have the midwives, Hebrew midwives that he appointed, uh, take the responsibility of killing the babies. However, they did not feel comfortable with this. They feared God. Exodus 1.17 reads, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. The pharaoh became agitated and kind of took things into his own hands at this point. So he appointed his own men, uh, probably Egyptian officials, to go kill all the babies by throwing them in the Nile River. So now let's talk about Moses and kind of how he plays into this. So in Exodus 2.2, um, we see that his mother said he was a fine baby. And then in Hebrews 11.23, it says that uh, Moses' parents saw that he was a beautiful baby. So does this mean he was actually like just a cute little baby like most parents would hopefully assume about their child? Um, so, you know, let's consider that. Now, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen speaks. Um, he's speaking to people, and he's using Moses. He's talking about Moses. And in verse 20 of Hebrews chapter, of, excuse me, Acts chapter 7, he says, At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. Now we can see two things in these verses. One, 
In the Acts passage, we see that he was favored by God. This term beautiful means favored by God. So he's favored by God. And then in Exodus, uh, we see that um, his parents knew that he was beautiful. So somewhere along the line, God revealed to his parents that he was favored. We don't know how that happened, and that's really beside the point. But we do know that his parents understood that he was very that he was favored by God. So in this, you know, in knowing this, they they made a conscious decision in faith to protect this baby. They decided to hold on to him for three months. With this, you know, if they would have been caught with the baby, they they would have definitely been killed by the Pharaoh um, or by the Pharaoh's people. Um, but this shows that they feared God more than the Pharaoh. And knowing that their son was favored, they kept him and they, they raised him as long as they could before they had to turn to something else. So in the first verse of this section, there's a rejection of man. And as we go on, we will now see how faith rejects the world. So let's go to uh, Hebrews 11, verse 24, if you're not already there. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Exodus, Exodus chapter 2 continues with the story of baby Moses. It's kind of interesting, you know, so he was there for only three months. I've heard of, you know, 20-year-olds being kicked out by their family, but uh, the three-year-old got the boot. <laughs> you know, so apparently he struck out quite early. So for whatever reason, it was just hard for his parents to conceal him at this point and they put him in a basket. Um, they put him in a basket, sent him down the, the Nile River, and they had Moses' little sister follow um, to make sure that he at least landed somewhere. Um, the basket wound up in, uh, in the hands of the Pharaoh's daughter. She was in the river taking a bath. And she opened the basket and decided she wanted to keep the baby. Uh, Moses' sister, seeing this, decided, or decided to be bold and go up and say, you know, he's pretty young. Why don't I, you know, can I bring him to a Hebrew nurse and uh, they can nurse him and raise him and then we'll bring him back to you at an appropriate age. And so Pharaoh's daughter thought this was a great idea. I could imagine that all the stuff with the baby would be difficult, so it was probably nice for her to have that happen. So he goes back to his family's house. That's a significant thing here. He's not just brought to some random Hebrews, Hebrew uh wife's house. He's uh, brought back to his family's house. Uh, many people who have studied this passage and have a far better understanding of it than I do say that he could have been there from 3 to 12 years, but pro um, probably closer to 10 to 12 years uh, staying with, this, um, with his biological parents. And that's significant for a couple reasons. Uh, Hebrews 11.24 says that Moses refused. He rejected being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So here's a few questions I want you to think about. How would being raised in a Hebrew household impact his decision to reject the Pharaoh's, um, the Pharaoh's family? How faithful were his, his biological parents in raising him, instilling sound doctrine in him before they, he returned to the Egyptian household? And lastly, do you think it made this easier for him to reject uh, the place he was? The, you know, he was in Egyptian nobility. So let's continue to verse 25 through 26 of Hebrews 11, and still think about how faith, how Moses had a faith that rejects the world. So verse 25 reads, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. This is, at least to me, it was one of the most hard-hitting uh, verses in this entire passage. 
Undoubtedly, Moses grew up in the most wealthy family, not only in Egypt, but in the world at this time. Egypt was way above everyone else, economically, politically, everything else. So he had access to everything. So I want to think about us. So let's say you were put up for adoption when you were, you know, three months old. And then you, uh, you spend 12 years living with your biological family. And then all of a sudden you're sent to live with the wealthiest man of the world's daughter. And you have access to all the power, money, any other kind of sin that you could have. Egyptian society was rampant with sin. They didn't know God, so it's kind of no shocker. How long would you last in this situation? I mean, even though you were raised in a Christian family, and I, I think you can even look at this like college, you can be raised in a Christian family, but I know a lot of people, and even myself, kind of uh, struggled. You know, all of a sudden you're thrown into a scenario where there's plenty of sin. How long would you last in this situation? Moses willingly and knowingly chose to reject this lifestyle. Now, I want to look at being mistreated with the people of God versus enjoyment of the fleeting pleasures of sin. First, let's ask, if Moses would have decide, decided to stay in Egypt and even rejected all the sin, so he would have chose not to um, indulge in the power or the women or anything that would have been there, and he would have just lived there, would he have been in sin? So now I want to turn to Acts 7, through 29. So we've got to go to our Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 7. I referenced this earlier, too. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So I want to look at verse 25 in Acts 7. We see that Moses knew or had knowledge that he was going to be the one to lead these people to freedom. We don't necessarily know how he knew this, other than that God was faithful and revealed this to him. But he did have this understanding before he left Egypt permanently. Uh, this isn't significant. Now that Moses is cognitive of God's plan, we start to see how his actions and decisions he made show a rejection of the Pharaoh's household and the Pharaoh's daughter as his mother. Now to answer the question, yes, it would have been sin for him to stay there because he knew God's plan. Let's uh, look at the, mo the actions Moses took that showed rejection. Number one, he killed an Egyptian. So, I mean, this wasn't necessarily the correct response to this situation, but it did show that he started to have a heart for the Israelites and um, uh, hostility towards the Egyptians. Number two, he sees two men quarreling, two Hebrew brothers quarreling, and he tries to mediate or tries to uh, kind of step between the two. And though this didn't work, it shows that he... Has, that he's, he cares for these guys. He wants to lead them. And number three, he flees to Midian. He could have tried to hide in Egypt. He could have just tried to f somehow find his way back into the Pharaoh's house. 
but he completely rejected this and fled. He fled from sin. Temporary, I, or first, I want to talk about us in, in today's world. So let's talk about sin. And I think you guys, if you're being honest, would agree. To an extent, sin is fun. It's temporarily fun. I don't think we would keep returning to sin if there wasn't something about it that at least grabbed us for a minute. Through his faith, Moses saw through, through all this, and not, Moses through the, excuse me, <coughs> through this, Moses saw that staying in Egypt would have been sin, staying and indulging in all these acts would have been sin. I'm sure he was aware that he could indulge in anything he wanted to, but he gave this up for the sake of Christ. So let's make sure we're back in Hebrews 11. I don't know if we turned anywhere before then. Uh, in verse 26, it says, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking towards a reward. According, according to Deuteronomy 18, Moses talks about a great prophet coming, and this is referring to Christ. Again, in 1 Peter 1, 10-12, Moses and all Old Testament prophets uh, were aware of the coming of Christ. So I'm going to read 1 Peter um, 1, 10-12. And if you guys want to flip there, you can. It's just a couple books to the right of Hebrews. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace was to be yours, searched, about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ in the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that they have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to, long to look. So in this passage, in verse 10, we see that um, the prophets understood salvation came through faith. And then in verse 11, we see that they understood Christ would suffer. So Moses had this in his mind. He knew that God would suffer on behalf of all, um, on behalf of him and everyone else on this earth. So here's a question. Did Moses meekly just try to work, go back to the Pharaoh's house and stay there and hopefully kind of not fall into sin? No. Rather, he fled from Egypt in all possible distraction and sin that could have hindered not only his relationship with God, but God's plan. It, see, if he would have been in sin, this would have hindered God's plan. I mentioned earlier that sin is fun or fulfilling temporarily. As you know, in the long term, sin is devastating. It hurts us, it hurts others, it hurts our relationship with Christ. So I'm going to turn to Psalm 51, if you want to turn there with me. And I'm going to read Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So this is David's prayer to the Lord after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed her husband. Clearly David is hurting and feeling extreme guilt for sinning against a perfect and holy God. There's plenty of examples through the Bible of people who have sinned and willingly chosen to sin. Moses understood 
the ramifications of his actions had he been in sin. And he understood how this would have hurt God's plan. Though we will most likely never be in the same spot Moses was given, we are given responsibilities and duties in the Bible, aren't we? Aren't we called to go make disciples? Aren't we called to do the work of an evangelist? If we're in sin and openly rejecting God's, um, God's will for us, we're completely hindering his plan, his perfect plan. We're not called to be roadblocks. We're called to be servants. Moses understood this, and I pray that you and, you and I also come to understand the severity of sin, it, the severity sin has, but also how this faith leads to a faith in God leads to an obedience and reverence for Him. Now we're turning back to a faith that fears. We kind of talked about that in verse 23. So if we're in Hebrews 11:27, uh, or we're going to be in Hebrews 11:27 now. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid for the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. In Moses' life, he fled Egypt twice. Once, uh, the first time he left, he left because Pharaoh wanted to kill him for killing an Egyptian, so he fled. The second time was when he led the Exodus, uh, when he started to lead people to the Promised Land. Um, that being said, both of the exits are characterized by a complete reliance on God and not of himself. Rather than fearing the Pharaoh or Egypt, he feared God. Moses did not fear what the Pharaoh would think of him. He didn't fear what the Pharaoh's daughter would think of him. Moses didn't fear anything because he knew the power and the peace he had with God. So let's look at Moses when he re-entered Egypt in order to free God's people after he had uh, received revelation from God to go back. So when he first approached the Pharaoh, he said, let my people go. And the Pharaoh didn't like this idea, kind of go figure. And so the Pharaoh decided, you know, he didn't, he started, the more and more he thought about it, the more angry he got. And he's like, well, what are they up to? You know, I don't like this idea. So he decided to make their work and their burden a lot tougher. So he took, um, or the, I mean, they had to build a lot of bricks. And they were uh, given straw to help build these bricks. And Pharaoh decided for some reason, uh, to say, you can't have, or you need to find your own straw and still build the same amount of bricks. So at this point, not only is Pharaoh mad at Moses, but the, the Hebrews are also angry because their work just got a whole heck of a lot tougher. When put in this spot, Moses did not doubt God. He did not fear the king. Let's think about fear of man for a moment. How does fear tie into faith? As believers, we know that we serve an omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God. When we choose to fear man, we reject and belittle the Lord God. In a fear of man, we deny the fact that the creator of all is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. Brothers and sisters, to fear, to fear man is to deny Christ. Peter was guilty of this, and I've definitely been guilty of this. And I think... If you really examine yourself at one point in your life, you've, been, you've rejected Christ. See, in fearing man, we are in sin. Verse 27 infers Moses knew what God wanted him to do. And, and he was comfortable with this. Even though he couldn't see him, he knew that God was present. He knew God was with him. Moses relied on God for safety and comfort when put in a situation 
where his own people would despise him. Once again, we see Moses is faced, faced with a situation where he had a choice. And once again, he made a choice based on his faith, not a choice based on his fear of man. So I think we're starting to see a pattern in this man. One, his faith isn't wavered by men, and it's not uh, wavered by the world. I would say he has a faith that trusts in God completely. So let's jump into verse 28 of Hebrews 11. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the, the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. In Exodus 12, um, up to this point in Exodus 12, we start to see that there's been a lot of plagues uh, put over Egypt. Um, and these plagues were placed there in order to soften Pharaoh's heart, in order to let God's people go. Pharaoh's heart was extremely hard, and God kind of had a, a, kind of his last straw with, with Pharaoh, in a sense. He, his tenth and final plague was a plague that would completely uh, wipe out all the firstborn in the land. So that included um, Egyptians, Hebrews. The firstborn, uh, firstborn child would die. Um, and he gave this instruction to Moses. And now, you know, at this point, Moses had been kind of the one that helped uh, carry out the plagues. Uh, plagues up to this point included the Nile River being turned into blood uh, and even physical harm to the Egyptians. Uh, they had boils all over their skin. So all kind of different things harming the Egyptians, yet Pharaoh's heart was still hard. And he gives this final plague to Moses, and he gives very explicit instructions on how to carry out this, this plague. So first he tells them, or tells Moses that in order to be saved, in order to have this, uh, this death pass over, they were instructed to go buy a lamb on the 10th day of the month. And then on the 14th, mo 14th day of the month, they were instructed to kill this lamb at twilight. This lamb was supposed to be without blemish. It was supposed to be the best lamb they could find. So once it had been killed on the 14th day of the month at twilight, they were supposed to take blood from the lamb and sprinkle it on the door so that God would know to pass over that house. So I want to look at two things from this. Let's start with looking at the faith of Moses. Once again, God has given him a choice to make, and once again, he's faithful. He obeys wholeheartedly and trusts in God. He trusts that God will pass over his house. He trusts that God will pass over all the houses marked with blood. And I think that's kind of tough to think about, you know, if you know God's going to wipe out a bunch of people to, to know that something so little, he, he will be faithful to what he says. Moses completely believed in this. The second thing I want to look at is the similarity between this and what Jesus Christ has done for us. In the case of Christ, blood was shed by a lamb once again, a lamb without blemish. Uh, blood stained a wooden cross. You know, and for all those who believe in Christ, you know, our sins have been washed in blood. We've been given eternal life, an eternal life that we don't have to question. Moses didn't question that God would, you know, whether or not God would pass over. He knew God was what God had said, and he knew God is faithful to his word. And we have that. We know that once we've repented and believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're saved from all damnation. Let's keep this in mind as we jump into our last verse for the evening, uh, Hebrews eleven twenty nine. By faith, when Moses crossed the Red Sea on dry land, or by, 
By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So Exodus 14 goes into pretty good detail um, about the Hebrews first leaving Egypt and then kind of their first roadblock they came to on their way to the Promised Land. Um, after the tenth and final plague, the Pharaoh called in Moses to his own house and said, you and your people go and go serve the Lord. Oddly enough, he told Moses to go serve the Lord. To this point, Pharaoh's heart was softened just enough to let them go. It wasn't, it wasn't a full repentance from where he was. It was just he kind of followed through with some actions, but his heart wasn't there behind it. God is not satisfied, satisfied with us half-heartedly obeying him or submitting or half-heartedly submitting to his plan. Moses, as we have seen throughout this entire passage, has been faced with choice after choice. In these choices, he's made all his decisions based on faith in God. As mentioned earlier, to not do so would have been sin for Moses. In Exodus 14.4, we read, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know I am the Lord. Despite all the plagues that came Egypt's way, Pharaoh still refused to acknowledge God and give him the glory he deserves. So I want to think about that when we're not obeying God, when we're not trusting in God, are we giving God the glory he deserves? Once again, Moses follows the Lord's instructions, so he moves a whole encampment of the Israelites right next to the Red Sea. At this point, the Pharaoh and his army come down, and they see that they're kind of just sitting ducks. Um, essentially, Israel is trapped and without any help. At this time, God chooses to harden the heart of the Egyptians in order that they will go down and chase the Israelites. Exodus 14, 17 through 18 reads, And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. I can only imagine at this time just being down in that encampment how frightened you'd be. You know, you see the big sea right here. And then you see Pharaoh's army right here. So let's, let's think about from today's perspective. As humans, we tend to find ourselves in scenarios and in trials uh, where we're called to trust and obey God. Even though it seems very difficult, we're, we're still called to do this. And, you know, and I think if we really examine our own heart verbally, we might not say anything to anybody about it. We might not pray to God about it. But we have a lot of doubts in a lot, whenever we're faced with trial. And I think one of the things we try to do once, faith, once we're in trials is we start to try to think of maybe different ways out of the trial. We try to think of maybe suggestions for God, so to speak. You know, so, and you know, I, I kind of see myself in this situation if I would have been Moses, maybe suggesting, maybe not praying and asking God to change his mind, but kind of wondering, like, why don't you just smite the Egyptians and then I'll take the Israelites and we'll kind of walk on the beach around the sea instead of walking through having these walls of water that could fall at any minute. You know, and maybe that speaks to my own faith um, or lack of at times. But Moses completely submitted to this. God told him to uh, put his staff in the ocean, raise his hand, and the sea would part. And it's simple instructions. I mean, it's simple to follow. Yet I think as humans we struggle even with the simple things. I, I just wonder about how, when we give suggestions to God, how that makes 
how, how that makes him appear. So let's, uh, let's pretend Peyton Manning is right here. And, you know, he's won five NFL MVPs. You know, he's one of the, probably the best quarterback to ever play the game. And I start giving him advice on how to throw a football. So in this kind of analogy, I mean, am I in any spot to give him any advice on how to throw a football? No. I see him shaking his head no. So, oh well. Um, you know, and it's like, in, in an uneven grander scale, how foolish is it for us to even think we could give a suggestion to God in his perfect plan? You know, we don't always see the results of his plan right away, but we do understand he has a plan and it's there for a reason. So there's extreme idiocy in us wanting to change God's plans or wondering why he's not changing his plans. Moses not only obeyed, but also completely trusted in the Lord. As for the Egyptians, they drowned, as Hebrews 11:29 states, and God received his glory over Egypt. You know, one thing to think about here is, I believe God received glory from Moses obeying him, but he also received glory from what happened to the Egyptians, uh, the people who denied him. So, either way, God seems to find his glory in all events. We've kind of gone through here, or we've gone through a lot, going through a lot here tonight. And I'm thankful for God's word and the application it has for us as believers. You know, I think in a human's life we can safely assume that we're filled with, or we're given a lot of decisions to make on a daily basis. Um, and we're also given the huge decision whether or not to surrender to Christ. Moses made this decision, and he lost all the prestige and power he could have had from a, from a worldly perspective. He gave up everything um, in this decision of faith. Pharaoh chose to deny God and his plan despite constant uh, signs from God. He was in complete rejection that led to, to eternal damnation. Once we have repented and believed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we face decisions on a daily basis. We are given a choice to submit to God and his authority, or we're given a choice to be in sin. So thinking about that, I think, you know, either way we go on a decision, we're going to have faith one way or another. First, we could either have a faith in God, or if we don't have a faith in God and we choose the other way, we have a faith in, essentially, we have a faith in the devil. And so I want to think about from a father's perspective, you know, he, God doesn't give us choices and give us, you know, his will is not set there to harm us. He loves us so much. He loves each and every one of you so incredibly much. So he doesn't set up these decisions in order to see us um, fail or to suffer. We know that, you know, we might suffer from a worldly perspective, but we know it's not in vain. But what if we put our faith in the devil? I mean, op we openly know he's the father of all lies. We know that he does not care about any of us in here or anyone in this world. He hates all of us. So, I mean, it's kind of baffling to think why so often we're putting our faith in him rather than a loving God. I urge those of you who don't know Christ to put your faith in Jesus Christ. For those of you who already do know Christ, I urge and pray that you, as well as I, live a life characterized by trusting and obeying God and not questioning his will for us.
So let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we often forget how powerful you are and uh, how all-knowing you are and that you're always with us. Um, you're the God that parted the Red Sea. You're the God that flooded this world. You're the God that raised, himself, raised his son from the dead. Yet, I think today, we struggle with realizing your power at times, and we think of you as a distant God. Lord, you are all-powerful. And you give us choices all the time, uh, choices to submit to you um, for your glory and for, for even our own benefit to follow you. Lord, uh, at times we feel really inadequate and we wonder why we're in a certain trial. And uh, Moses even felt this way. In Exodus chapter 3, he, uh, he questions God and says, who do I tell, who do I tell them I am, who I am when I go back to Egypt? And he says, I am with you. Lord, we know that you're with us and we know it's not about us. We know it's all about you. So Lord, help us make decisions in faith that show that we know it's about you and you alone. In your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen.